no, I don't think I'm always listened to. I think my, I think my name or my my personhood can lend credibility to some some predominantly white or dominant culture institution. Um, but if but as other women of color invite my presence, I automatically understand that I'm being invited to come as my whole self. And so in that, I do feel very seen and heard. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? This is Leroy Barber with the Sit Up Podcast, and uh, we are thankful once again for you following along this journey with us. Uh, you know you can hit us on Twitter uh, and send me questions at Leroy Barber or my Twitter. Uh, you can hit Sit Up Podcast on Facebook or my personal Facebook page, Leroy Barber, or Instagram at Leroy Barber. Would love to hear from you. Uh, love the love the when folks kind of come and, and say, Hey, I listened to the podcast. I got this question. Uh, that's been really fun, uh, a fun process. So keep those questions coming and keep this conversation rolling. Uh, look, the next few weeks, you want to pay attention because we have a lot of content, uh, and uh, we are going to be rolling out some really good interviews between the Inhabit Conference and the phenomenal time we had at the Voices Conference, uh, there's a lot of content headed your way. So the next few weeks, you can either get caught up if you're not caught up and, and ride along because uh, it's going to be a fun ride over the next six, eight weeks uh, with Sit Up Podcast. And we welcome you on the journey. So today's questions. What? is a Methodist. Y'all hear me talking about Methodists and, you know, you know, the United Methodist of Greater Northwest Area sponsoring this podcast and us setting up, you know, this this idea of public discourse and what that means and look like. But but what is Methodist? You ever you ever wonder where does it come from? Who who's somebody that embodies a little bit of what it means to be Methodist? We're going to tease a little bit of that out today in today's interview. When it comes to your work and your personal spirituality, how do the two work together if your work is within Christian ministry or in a church or your place of faith, right? And you work there as a leader or pastor or whatever that might be. How, like, how does that fall in line with your personal spirituality? And how do you separate the two? Do they combine? Uh, do you find yourself just like letting it combine and blend together and there's no, there's no separation? That's a good question we like to, to, to think about today. Also, I'm excited about today's interview because we're going to we're going to we're going to be interviewing a woman of color. And a question is there is what do women of color carry? Right. Like, like what are they dealing with that 
in this male-dominated world, this world dominated uh, by supremacy, how does a woman of color navigate that world as a leader? Navigate this world as a leader. How does tokenism play into that? What lenses like represent tokenism? What are you what are you, what are you looking through? How do you how are you feeling out if something is tokenizing or not? What what how do you how do you view invitations? Do you see those as tokenizing or not? What's the process? It's a good question, right? Because even if you're if you're not a person of color, how, when do you know when you are uh, you you are you are tokenizing someone? What's the difference? That naturally, right, is going to run into a question about power. How? is power analyzed? How do you analyze power? How do you see it? How do you use it, right? If you're a male or if you're, uh, if you're a white person, right? If you're able-bodied, you're straight, like how do you use power? You're a homeowner, right? We all have power in some way and what does that mean for us? What struggles are present when you have power and or when you're trying to figure out how to maneuver power or around power or deal with power, what dynamics emerge for you in those spaces on either side? How do you take up space? Right? If, if you're a person of power, do you think about how you take space up? In, in, in a lot of different ways, when you enter a room, when you have to speak, when you uh, when you get when you're walking down a sidewalk, like what space do you take up as a person of power? You ever think about that? Do you know that people deal with that every day? They deal with people of power taking up space and how we get around it or not and how we shape our days. Do you assume the priority position when you are a person in power? Today's guest is Shalom Akhtarab. She is a colleague. She is a phenomenal leader, a woman of color. Uh, and this interview is gonna be, is fantastic. As usual, when we're on the road, uh, our producer, Andrew Morgan, carries out these interviews. So uh, that is right ahead of us. I am Leroy Barber. This is the Sit Up Podcast. Let's begin. Listen, and let's be clear. You only get one chance, one opportunity, one request to appear, one moment to consider what you might hold dear, a few seconds to digest what might be coming near, a quick check of which direction you may want to steer. Maybe God is pro-choice. He gave each of us a will, a mind, a voice. And whether we will make statements, speak truth, or add to the noise is up to us. To take the dust we've been given. To treat our seconds like cents and watch how we spend them. To use our words like olive branches in the mouths of birds and watch where we send them. Take the negative thoughts we were taught. Take our wounded souls and hearts and let God mend them. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. 
battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Welcome in to the Sit Up Podcast. I am your producer, Andrew Morgan, and today we are here at the Inhabit Conference, and we've been giving you some of some good interviews with people who are innovative, who are doing different things in unique ways, and so I'm always excited to bring you another interview, and uh, today is no exception. We have a really exciting one for you. Can you please introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. Thanks for the opportunity, Andrew. My name is Shalom Agtrap. My job title is Associate Director for Innovation in a New Church. I may have gotten some of those particles of speech off because I don't often use that title. Is it, what does it mean? Like, what, that's a lot. Mm. It's not like a lot, a lot. It sounds like it's still one job, but it's a lot of a title. Mm-hmm. So kind of break that down for us. So I support the work of the director of innovation for a new church and the way that it's manifest for my job title or for my work portfolio is to accompany, to mentor, to resource those who are planting new things, sometimes in a church, sometimes in a community outside of a a physical building and also other, other innovative projects that might be springing up from existing traditional churches. So how often are you seeing that people really need that kind of support? Well, every week, I think I get opportunities to come alongside folks, hear them out. Everything from a church planter wanting to go public with a worship service and wanting to run through like, hey, we're about to launch these public worship services. Can I just get some time with you? Yeah. Uh, What other resources do you have, Shalom, of ways to to create revenue and support this dream that I live into every single day. Uh, different requests. Yeah. So it's not it, it's not necessarily like you're providing cash necessarily to help <laughs> in those cases, but you're really sometimes it's just the resources of just knowledge of being in these spaces, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what exactly like how did you get to a place where you were like this will work. I can do this. I can make mm-hmm. this work because mm-hmm. a job title like that it seems like you and I'm just assuming, did you just start from scratch mm-hmm. and you had to create it? So tell us about that process of how you created it. Mm-hmm. So I start with personal experience. I think the best experience is always personal experience. And I had heard stories of church planters who were burnt out, folks who weren't seen, um, folks who felt demoralized because this thing that they'd given their years to or maybe their family's time and resources to wasn't manifesting the way that their dreams, prayers, imagination had them thinking it would. And so so I knew that that was a real problem and, and that in the first year or two, lots of folks would discern, okay, this isn't for me. I can't go to year three or I can't go to year five. And so a lot of my job became, how do you support folks who are in it currently? How do you yeah. create containers and spaces where they can sit and listen to one another, share experiences, because a lot of these church plants are happening um, in suburbs, in rural places, in urban centers. And I think that's the biggest thing is I can't speak, I can't begin to tell anybody what they need to be doing, but I can definitely witness, sit, and deeply listen to what they're experiencing in their own body, in their own neighborhood. And then just that being in the presence of somebody else who's also planting And so I created these uh, peer learning circles where they could hear one another's story. They can, in the Quaker tradition of like letting their souls speak 
to one yeah. another um, yeah. and speak into the silence, knowing that they'd be held, that no one would fix them or tell them what to do, um, yeah. but that they'd be heard and seen. So you do this work around the United Methodists. Yeah. So what does it mean to be, are you a Methodist? I am. So what does that mean? Oh. What does it mean to be a Methodist? Yeah, that's a really great question. You're asking that question on the heels of our judicial body within the church deciding to uphold a lot of the exclusionary practices yeah. that were voted in. So for me, I think it means to continue to marry and bring together in my own life the call to care for neighbor mind, body, and soul. So often that has a social component, has economic components. And so it takes restructuring uh, our neighborhoods, our communities, mean, means being involved in, in conversations that spiritual communities don't often find themselves involved in, advocating for better housing policies, advocating for tenant protections, um, caring about like what early learning centers are providing to our are most vulnerable. I, I see it as a, a marriage of head and heart. Yeah. Yeah, and that it, it plays out in a very public way. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, another somewhat political question, I okay. guess. What is the church's role and responsibility from your point of view when it comes to immigration? I think our role, I, I at least interpret my baptism the power that is in me and the power of the spirit that surrounds me to always advocate for those who are on the margins. And currently in yeah. this kind of broken immigration system, it's first to call out that it, it is broken, that for decades now we have suffered um, from there's no line. When people say get in line, there's no line. Yeah, And so in this chaotic time of some refugees get status and get help set getting set up in a neighborhood, um, that that is just not real for a lot of folks coming from a certain part of the world. Currently, if you're coming from Central America and making this really like perilous journey, you are continued to be left defenseless and vulnerable. And I think the church has a real role in what we'd say as mercy and compassion ministries. So the the feeding, the clothing, the sheltering, you know, as they're waiting to be called in for an asylum interview, I think the church has uh, an opportunity to really literally be the hands and feet of Christ. And I believe we also have the responsibility to be the moral conscience. So yeah. we have to be speaking to state legislators, to... Um, to Congress, members of Congress who represent us, to say, you all may have lost your way. You all might not like to work together. You may uh, be trying to angle for different incentives in this immigration debate. But as the church, as the body of Christ, we are broken and we are going to continue to agitate and bring this to the forefront. We're not going to make new economic deals on the backs of people whose countries, economies, and livelihoods were damaged because of U.S. policy in the first place. Like, they're only here because we messed with elections, we messed with um, ways of families feeding themselves and feeding their communities, we scorched a lot of their earth, we poisoned a lot of their farmland. 
Um, and that has repercussions in this world. And it's our responsibility both to call that out and then to offer alternatives um, that don't just say, okay, yeah, let them come, but also let them come, let them work. We have shortages in our own farmlands, right? We have depended on migrant workers for a long time. Um, And so if they are working, it's our responsibility to say they need to be paid decently. Yeah. There needs to be honor and dignity in that work. There needs to be a wage that matches that. Good, good. So I'm going to shift all the way to a different frame of questioning. And because I'm curious about this. Um, So on a personal level, do you feel like you have you have peace and joy right now? Mm. on a personal level yeah personal we get personal in the city i like it i like it i um i was just telling someone today i feel myself quite stretched in term in terms of living in the tension of what my work what my Mm -hmm. title might say that i do and a witness of the spirit in me that's maybe saying what else like what else what else could you be doing? What other posture could you be taking? And so I'm still able to sleep at night. So I feel like I have some peace Yeah. in that way. I think the joy has, um, you know, the joy has left me for some time. The joy has left me for some time. I think there's some work of reconciliation that I still need to do in certain personal relationships. But I also think that in this churning discernment time, like I'll know that has come to an end when like the energy and the joy returns yeah as if it's gearing me up to do that thing so yeah i i I ask questions like that sometimes and they may feel invasive right but i ask it because there are a lot of leaders who may be put in positions like you Mm. and they need to know the real Mm. like there's a reality that sometimes the answer is yes and then my next question is well how'd you get it yeah you know like what's going on with that but sometimes the answer is we're getting there yeah. And that answer more than likely matches for most of us. Yeah. You know, like we're trying to work our way to the to these places of understanding, like, you know, what's next? What, what were you thinking? Well, I, I just think that that and isn't that I love that you are framing the questions in that way so that people will never be lulled into thinking or duped into thinking that somehow in conference positions or in, in maybe um, in directorships or more executive positions that somehow you can neglect the spiritual practices that fuel right. all of us. Yeah. Like you still have to be a human being that feels things that processes things. Yeah. Um, or, or the work or your own spiritual life and your own body like will suffer. Yeah. Yeah. So how long, how, <laughs> how did you come to terms with understanding that? Like what did something hit the road? Like did something, mm. did you hit a wall or, was that just something, you know, was passed down to you, uh, a knowledge that was given mm. to you? My, you know, my family, my father is a United Methodist minister, now retired. My mother's a nurse. Okay. And so um, my particular family really prioritized being at the table together, reading our, our daily bread devotional and then um, sh- spending time with one another. So I think the orientation of coming back to what fuels you and who's asking you uh, questions of accountability, uh, who's seeing you like that has always kind of been before me. And I've always invited that kind of loving accountability. So that's one thing. Um, but it's also, so I've been in formal ministry for 11 years now and it's long enough. Yeah, It's long enough to know what you don't know. And so I avail of my spiritual director 
whenever somebody says, man, I remember the hubris of being young and somebody's like, I'll pray for you. And I'm like, don't pray for me. It, it was this prideful thing. And so when someone says like, I'll pray for you or I'm thinking of you, like praise God, I'm on somebody's mind. Like to be further kind of held by a community seen or unseen, I think is a real gift of the spirit. And yeah. I like never neglect that because I, these executive levels and these um, closed door meetings can often be so myopic. Like you can forget the imagination and the hurt of people and the gifts of people right outside those doors. And I just never, I never want to do that. And I always want to keep it before me that I am just one small part of yeah. a way bigger ecosystem. So do you feel like you're heard? Do you feel like you're listened to? In this position? In life? In life as a woman. Mm. You know, I would consider that as a woman of color. Yeah, absolutely. As a woman of color, it depends who invited me. So What's that mean? Yeah. So if I, uh, in a tokenized capacity... No, I don't think I'm always listened to. I think my... I think my name or my my personhood can lend credibility to some some predominantly white or dominant culture institution. Um, but if but as other women of color invite my presence, I automatically understand that I'm being invited to come as my whole self, and so in that I do feel very seen and heard. Um, I also think if the person inviting me has a posture of humility or receptivity, I know that I don't have to do the the power dynamic yeah. posturing first before we kind of get down to business. Like I already feel yeah. that um, I'm received and that's no small act of hospitality. Talk about that a little bit more. Mm. Like what do you mean by... Like, what is this back and forth? What is that power struggle? Give mm, me a description of that. Of yeah, what like. okay. Let me have one little think. Hold on. So sometimes I'll walk into community spaces and I'll, sometimes I choose to, depending on if it's helpful, to reserve the title of reverend or part of the United Methodist Church leadership structure or whatever else. Uh, and sometimes, like, I really have to front that. Like, that's my ticket in the door. Yeah. And depending on whether or not it's a school district conversation or a community conversation on tenant protections, um, I often find that people are asking the question of like, what gives you the right to be here? Whether right. that's ever spoken. I think those are some of the power dynamics that I have to contend with. And so yeah. sometimes I do my homework and I'll read up on who asked me to be there or if it's an open call, who's sponsoring that space or that conversation. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. Like once you, because I'm a relational person, like if I start to name like, oh, I've been to that town or like, oh, I know that pastor or, 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 um, then you start to see folks ease and the shoulders drop and, yeah. and like, okay, we can just be human now. Are we good? Like, can we just start from this, yeah. this point on? Do you ever see a day where that, that's not necessary? Not soon, but my hope is founded yeah. in, in this understanding of the common good and God's beloved kingdom being more and more real. Not soon, though. Yeah. So what advice do you have for 
you know, the easy question would be, you say, well, what advice do you have for young ladies like, like you? What advice do you have for majority culture young mm. men? Mm. What advice do you have for them? Mm. I love the reframing of that. I'm always ready for the other question. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Thank you for the question. In a lot of youth organizing spaces, they'll as they're setting norms, they'll say, okay, like, and as we're setting community norms, like, let's just make sure that those who are speaking a lot, you know, maybe step back and those who haven't spoken yet step up. And so this understanding of like, speak up, step back would be an encouragement to majority or dominant culture, um, young men. I think folks aren't always aware of the air that they take up, the space that they take up in a room. Yeah. And so that takes a great deal of self-awareness, you know, even your space. I mean, women of all ages talk about this all the time. Like just the way we just kind of settle into space and on an airplane, like as small as I am, um, I'm still cramped. And so, you know, those who are bigger, just bodies are different, spill over and, and not being cognizant of it. Like I know I can have a conversation with someone who says, oh, I'm sorry, am I in your space? Like, are you okay with this? Yeah. Even that pausing to ask that question is a posture of humility. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not entitled to this space. Um, so I'd really encourage folks to think about that. I'd also really encourage um, young men of dominant culture to ask the question, like, what, what relationships are holding you accountable? Not just like your mom or your teacher yeah. or your coach, but... Um, who are you actually giving yourself to in relationship that could say to you, homie, the way that you moved into that space was just wrong? Or did you see how you cut that person off? Yeah. Or, 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 or. Um, and so it takes a restructuring of how they orient themselves to the world. Who's, who is not just your friend, but like who are you deepening relationship with that they can say to you, you're being a real jerk right now. You're super entitled right now. Right. You're not aware of the privilege that you're wielding right now. So let's shift it to, and this is just me asking you again to give some, another demographic uh, advice. Mm. So what about the older woman who's maybe the, the refugee? Like she's maybe that immigrant. She's that person who has a culture, who has a voice, and now could potentially use it. Mm. How do you encourage her? Mm. I would encourage her to to not not sip the Kool Aid of oh I'm in America and this is how this is just how things are done right like this is just the transactional world that I'm in, that I'm in now let me just pull into my um, my little parking space and let me get myself inside my apartment or my home and then just kind of let me do what all the neighbors do, which is right. to isolate and seclude myself. Most of the world's cultures have a deep understanding of needing one another, of being intergenerational, of celebrating the gifts that come to the table, often brought by um, women of the household. I come from a a matriarchal culture. Yeah. And these are women whose experiences like have informed my life. I might 
I might can think of one or two phrases that my dad has always said to us, but I, when I think of what my elders have said, I have my aunts. My aunts and my grandmother's like lines running through my head. And so, for example, when I'm in conversation with folks in the South End who are coming from like um, Southeast Asian kind of refugee communities, often because of refugees and lots of war, terror, violence have happened and kind of killed off a whole generation in between, there aren't often any elders to speak into the lives of young people. So if I was to be in conversation with somebody, I would say, like, don't stop dishing out that wisdom. Don't stop, like, doing the teaching or the um, the formation work that I think is so important. Because then we lose it. And once we lose it, right, um, we start kind of being guided by other by other principles that are largely capitalist, largely transactional, largely, you know, what the church says, like, secular of the world. Yeah. And we're at a deficit when we do that. Last question. This might take you a minute to think because I need you to change mind frames. So 20 years from now, you don't have to tell us what age you'll be 20 years from now. Appreciate but I want it. you to appreciate that. <laughs> I want you to go to 20 years from now, old you, right? Mm. And I want that person to give advice to you today. There's enough. There's already enough. Um, you don't need to read more books and resources and call on the expertise of 19 other people. You are enough. And whatever is still needed, provision will show up along the way. All right. Well, thank you for joining Mm -hmm. us on the Sit Up Podcast. We really enjoyed it. Uh, You helped us tap back into just God is a provider. Amen. So thank you so much. And Leroy will be back with us next week with another uh, sit up podcast. So we're looking forward to that. Make sure you like share. And this is a voice. Every time I get a chance to say this, share these stories. Even if you don't share the podcast, share the stories you heard today. Talk about this and let our, you know, and expand voices that need to be heard. All right. Thank you for listening to the sit up podcast. Live life like you know the clock's ticking. On your mark, get set, ready. Let's begin. Let's begin.